I think that this is probably one of the most crucial sermons I could ever preach. This is one of the most important sermons that you need to understand. The truth that's laid out in this sermon is most, the most powerful truth that you could ever hear. Um, and if you can grasp this, and if you can hold this, and if you can live in this, you will be different, different from this day on. So I want, I want you really to sharpen yourself and listen very carefully to what the Word of God has to say to you today. Because this will make an incredible difference in your life. It will break the chains. It will loose the captive. It will set you free if you take a hold of this today. So let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, your word is good. It is good for us. It is medicine for our soul. Lord, you are here by your Holy Spirit right now. And I sense your presence here, Holy Spirit. And I ask you to... Quicken the hearts of men and women here right now. Prepare their hearts for receiving your word with meekness, Father. Lord, I pray that as they receive your word with meekness, Lord, they would be doers of your word, not hearers only, Father. Lord, and that from this day on, Father, something of your divine deposit, Lord Jesus, your truth will just rest within them in such a mighty way, Father, that their lives would be transformed, Father, to be your people, for your time, for this place. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. So what's so important about this is that this really deals with the heart of uh, our lives in God. This is the core of us. So we're, we're dealing with now psychology. Now psychology is a, an interesting word. It, 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 it has this idea in the world of being the answer when you don't want to go to God. You go to psychology. But psychology as a word is just a box. It's just a word. It just means psycho. The first part, psychopid, is the, is the Greek word for soul of man. And the ology is the part that says the study of. So what we've done is we've just done a study of the soul or the immaterial part of man from Scripture. So this is biblical psychology. It's not secular psychology. This is biblical psychology. It's the understanding of what we are from the Bible's perspective. And today we're going to talk about the new creation. We're going to talk about how God has made us new. So we, that's part of the psychology of Christianity. The fact that we had a problem and God has made us new. Now in the beginning when we started the series, we started on the, the first sermon was you know, God made us. How God made us and what happened? He made us material. That is a physical body and he also made us immaterial. He breathed into man the breath, the ruach of God and man became a living soul, a living nephesh. Those are the words in the Hebrew. So there's an immaterial part of us and we looked in the first sermon about all the different parts of the immaterial part of man. It's you can simply break it up to body, soul, and spirit, but you can break it up to other things like mind and strength and emotions. There's a whole lot of uh, complexities about the inner man. So we looked at what it was to be created by God physically and then what it was to have him breathe into us and for us to become a living being. And then we looked at the fall of man and the consequences of that to humanity. What happened to the exterior part, the material part of us at the fall, and what happened to the immaterial part of us at the fall. And we looked at that 
The second week, Lish told us and spoke to us about our amazing brain and how our brain works. She showed us that we create a, a pathway of uh, thought in our highway of thought by the way we think. It becomes broad and strong the way we think and, and that produces behavior. And we have to take responsibility for our thinking and have to take the responsibility for the way we think because it produces our behavior. And she showed us that we needed to take responsibility for our sin and recognize and confess our sin before God and recognize that it's the wrong way and willfully turn away from our sin and repent from it and willfully accept a new path, a new way that comes from God. So the, last week we, we, we dealt with suffering because suffering is a consequence of the fall. Suffering is a, is a part where we live and most people in the world who suffer go and get help for suffering. They either take tablets for suffering or they go and see a psychologist if they're not Christian or they get involved with the church and they find the reason, the real reason for their suffering and they meet up with God again and find the answer to the suffering in their lives, how to cope with the suffering. And last week we, we talked about suffering is, is part of what life is all about. We're not going to ever escape that until we go to heaven and there he will wipe away the tears and take away the suffering. But here while we're on earth, we're under the curse because we had fall. Adam fell. We're under the curse. And when we're under the curse, the suffering remains. We just got to learn to make choices in the suffering, choices that are right. And we, we looked last week about we, had, we could choose how we suffer. We could suffer for the right or we could suffer for the wrong. We could um, had uh, power over the focus in our suffering, you know, how we view our suffering, whether we see it as something that is, is good for us or we, or we get bitter and angry about it. We had choices with regard to our attitudes through the suffering, the way we think in suffering. And we also had choices with regard to the things that we do when we suffer, how we respond and how we act in our suffering. And so those ideas were the three sort of ideas that we've dealt with. Today, so we've looked at creation um, from, of the perfect man in his relationship to God. We looked at that. Then we looked at the consequences of the fall. Then we looked at man and his choices in this life of suffering. And today we're going to round this whole thing off by looking at the recreation of perfection and fellowship through Christ Jesus our Lord. See, what we lost in the garden... Jesus Christ brought back to us again. We lost perfection in the garden and Jesus Christ brought perfection back to us again. We lost relationship with God and Jesus Christ brought relationship back to us again. Everything that we lost in the garden, Jesus brought back to us again. And he recreated us again to live a new life. So we are new creations. We're not old creations made new. We're New creations in Jesus Christ. So we're going to deal with new creation today. With Jesus, the new creation begins. This is what the word says. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So this is not a renovation. This is a recreation. Everybody say that this is not a renovation. This is not a renovation. This is a recreation. You're being made new. You weren't alive before, now you are alive. It's a completely different thing than it was before. Now this is what the word new means. And this is very interesting. Because if you think new, you think, okay, renewed. No, no, this is not renewed. This is brand new. This is not reconditioned. This is brand new. 
This is a new new. And the word new actually tells us that because the word new in the Greek is the word kainos. And it, it means new in nature with the implication of better. So your old nature has been taken away and you have a new nature which is better than the old one. So what was broken in the old one has been taken away and God has given you a completely new nature. The word suggests unfamiliar. That's why you know it's, no, it's not renewed because it would be something that is familiar. It's unfamiliar. So you haven't been here before. This is new. It's completely new. It's unexpected. It's wonderful. And the word, the distinction fades with time. So it means that after you have it for a while, you know, you get used to it. But when you're first there, it's unusual. It's unfamiliar. It's like uh, the pathway that... Uh, Liz was telling us that we have in our minds, which is an old pathway, and when we get off that old road and we start going on a new road for God, that new road is completely unfamiliar. It's not been trodden before. It's a new and living way. It's not like the old way. It's a different way. This is what the word creation means. This is why we say it's not a renovation. It's the act of founding and establishing and building it's the act of creating creation, not recreating, but creating. That's what the word creation, a new creature, a new creation. It's not recreating, it's creating. So it's brand new creation, i.e. a thing created. It's of individual things being a creature or a creation. So the word that is used here is the word creation, not recreated. It's important for you to understand that. The old has gone, and it's a metaphor. It uses a metaphor, it says to pass away, to perish. So whatever it was inside before you were a Christian, it's gone and been taken away. Yeah, good riddance. And what has been placed in there now is completely new. In Ezekiel, Jesus says, I'm going to put a heart of flesh in you and take away your heart of stone. You know, there's no, there's no similarity between a heart of stone and a heart of flesh. The heart of stone is a, a heart of stone. A heart of flesh is completely different. There's a new heart placed in you. It's not softened up stone. It's a new heart placed in you. So what we have then in Romans chapter 6 verse 6 is a description of this. So Paul uses this and he speaks to us in Romans chapter 6 about what's happened. He says, knowing this, that the old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should no longer serve sin. So he's saying there, he says, whatever's taken place inside of you is so that you do not have to serve sin anymore. That means you don't have to sin anymore there's a change taking place on the inside of you that is so powerful and so new and so amazing and so wonderful and so unexpected that if you understand this and you grasp this you do not have to sin anymore now that sounds so foreign to us Because what we really try to do through most of our life is take the old person and sort of fix him up so that he starts doing new things. Jesus says, that's not going to do. That's not going to work. What you have to do is start your whole life again as a baby, as newborn babes desire sincerely the sincere milk of the word that you would grow thereby. You have to start new inside. Now, when did I begin to have a new life? Well, I would have I thought, you know, when I was a youngster. But, you know, I reckon 
a lot of that time I was just trying to renovate stuff in my life. It's when I start to understand that the old has gone and the new has come, that where I am now is a completely different place than it's like the lights come on. All of a sudden, I don't have to fight and strive any longer. I just have to leave where Jesus put me. I don't have to try to be good anymore. I just have to be good now because I am good now. Jesus made all the difference. He changed the thing. So let's have a look at this verse. We're going to break it down into bits and pieces so that when you look at the different words, we can understand what those words mean. Those words, he says, the old man, the old man, the old ancient man. These are, these are definitions for this word in the Greek. No longer new, the worn by use, the worse for wear old. So, you know, we all got brokenness. One of the things we say here is we've all got commonalities. And then our commonalities, we're all broken. Because there's no one who was coming through life that was new and who stayed new. We all got broken by sin. We all sinned and we all got broken. That broken person is the old man. We're all broken because we come from the old. But we've all been made new because he's put something new within us. So the old man is the fallen man. It's the spiritually dead man without God. Remember, this is the demonic self. The demonic self, the person who wants to be in the center of everything. It's the demonic self who wants to control your life. You know, you can have God, like uh, here's the demonic self. You can have God, but also have a little bit of the world, you know. Play the halfway game. Meet me halfway there. I'll play at school, the game that the kids at school play. And I'll play at church, the game that, you know, the church people play. You know, I can get around this really well. This is the demonic suggestion. Walk in both worlds. It's walking in both worlds where you can have acceptance and significance with all the people that you want to. You can have acceptance and significance with the people at church and you can have acceptance and significance with the people at the world. This is, this is the wrong kind of thinking. This is a demonic self-control that wants to take control. Demonic self wants to define what's good and bad. You know, it's not real good standing up and speaking your faith at school because you get rejected. So it defines that as bad, you know. These are the thoughts that are suggested to you. And the demonic self justifies the, the, our actions and rather than confesses and repents from it. It says, you know, the reason I do this is because it's really hard to be different in this world. People will always reject you if you're too different. And so you'll justify it. You know, you can't, you've got to reach people somehow, so I'll be like them to reach them. You know, this is maybe not what God is saying. This is a sign of the old man, the fallen man. Ephesians tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, and we're going to go back and read some more, but this is what it says about the old man. You and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you used once walked according to the course of this world. You were dead. There's no way that you could be alive. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. You walked according to the course of this world. Now, it's demonic. It is demonic because the Bible tells us it's demonic. It says, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience. It's demonic. The old man is demonic. Actually, there is a spirit, a demon spirit that's suggesting things to you 
that tells you and walks and talks to you and if you let it, it will control you and you will speak out the things that it tells you to speak out. That's the old man. You can't have anything to do with that. It's demonic. It's the spirit that's at work in the sons of discipline. He says, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, because it, it said, well, your body wants to do that. It feels like it wants to do it. Well, then do it. In the desires of the flesh. You know, you have certain desires. You have hunger and thirsty. Why don't you do what you want to do your desires? Want to do it. And of the mind. And, and by nature, we were children of wrath, just as the others were, it says. You know, this is a demonic part. In our society, we don't believe in angels and demons. In the West, it's all just secular. There is no God. There is no angels. There are no demons. There is no spooky stuff outside. We are just in a living in a material world. We are material people in a material world. That's what we're told. The Bible doesn't agree with that idea. The Bible tells you very clearly there are spirits and there are demons, there are angels, there is God and there is a devil. And if you don't listen to God and walk in the course of this world, you're not walking in your own way, you're walking in a demonic way. And a demon has control of your brain. Okay? It might not feel like it, it might feel like yourself, but you still got control of you. Need to understand this. Now, Romans back to Romans chapter six, verse six. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. Now, I want to look at the word destroyed, and henceforth that we should not serve sin. Now, the word the old self is destroyed. It means to render idle, unemployed, inactive, and inoperative. Now, let's see if we can understand how that works. Now, I could do a sort of a, a, a bit of a lesson here. This is operative. But if I were to pull this plug here, what would happen? Sorry? It would stop. You would, it would stop. You wouldn't see that up there. I wouldn't want to do that because it would, it would destroy it. But you get my point. If I pull any of these plugs out, it becomes inoperative. It doesn't work anymore. Well, that's what's happened to the old the power source that's coming into us, that's controlling us, that's inside of us as a believer, Jesus pulled the plug. There's no more power source there. It's inoperative. He can't, he can't work with us. He can't make us. The idiot controls, you know, you see these kids with the games, you know, like this, they're playing the games on the, on the TV, whatever it is, you know, and, you know, they're controlling what's happening in the box, like that. And it's like the devil's on us. Jump, smoke, drink, sex. He controls us with his... Well, Jesus cut the tie. No remote control. He can't do it. The devil can't... It says it's rendered it idle, unemployed, inactive, and inoperative. That's what the word destroyed. Jesus destroyed it. To cause a person or a thing to have no further efficiency. He can't keep on working with you. It is to deprive, deprive of force, influence, and power. The word means to cause, to cease, to put an end to, to do away with, to annul, and to abolish. This, this is all this word. To cease, to pass away, to be done away, to be served, to, to be severed from, separated from, discharged from, loose from anyone, to terminate all intercourse with one. That's what's happened. It's like it's cut off. It's completely cut off. 
There is nothing inside of you that is going to control you. Now, we heard from David last week that the devil is on the outside, not on the inside, and that he tries to come in to try and suggest things to us. That's exactly what happened when Jesus put the devil to death at the cross, when he dealt with sin. The devil was cut off from us. We are now got a new heart. We've got a new Lord. We have something new inside. There is no old on the inside. The NIV says your old sinful nature and replaces the old sinful nature for the flesh. That's incorrect. There is no old sinful nature in a believer. There is one new heart, Jesus Christ the Lord, inside. So here's what Jesus did. Turn on your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2 or just read it up there. It doesn't matter. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. So what he's done is he says, okay, you're completely dead. Imagine that. A dead body is laying there on the ground. You cack it, you kick it, you prod it, you try and burn it, you, you try and get it to wake up. It's completely dead. It is not alive. There's no way that you can move it. It's laying there on the floor, dead. Jesus comes along and says, you know what? Be alive. And he quickens it. So he makes you alive. You come alive. All of a sudden, that which is dead is gone and now you are a living person. He does that by coming inside of you. By putting his spirit inside of you. And by joining with your spirit and bringing you alive like that. When you are born again of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you. In fullness, he comes and dwells within you. He's there. The reason you're alive in Christ is because the Holy Spirit is in you. And you are joined with him. You can't separate that. Which part is you and which part is him? Can you dig in and find out where he begins and you begin? Now he's there and he's there and he's there and he's working. He says he's quickened together with you, quickened together with him, having forgiven all. Your, and I'm so glad he's forgiven all of my trespasses, not just some of them, not just the ones I'm ashamed of, but all of them, even the ones I can't remember. He has forgiven all of our trespasses. Every one of them is. Thank you, Jesus. Every single one of them, past, present, and future as we commit ourselves to him and we walk in him everything has been forgiven so what happens the first thing he's made us alive together with him and he forgave us that's what he's done the second thing is this he's blotted out or blotting out the handwriting of ordinances the word ordinances means laws that was against us which was contrary to us and took it away out of the way, nailing it to his cross. So what does the word blotting out mean? He says he's blotted out the law that we have broken. So there's a book up there, a book looking for your name, and if you end up at the great white throne, not a place to be, uh, they'll look at the books to find out if you're in the book. And if your name is not in the book, and it won't be if you're at the great white throne, um, they'll have in the book 
all the things that you've broken with regard to the law, every single thing that you've thought and everything that you did, it will be there in the book. And you will have to give an account to the book. But you're not going to be at the great right throne if you've asked Jesus to come into your life and he's made you alive because the old man has already passed into judgment. It's already been taken because the judgment was given to Jesus. Your old person was put onto Jesus and the old man was then crucified with Christ. It was put to death with Christ. So the punishment for the old sin was punished in Jesus and Jesus died for your sin. He died, your old person died with Jesus so that when Jesus rose again and lived, you rose again and lived. The old person was crucified with Christ, nailed on the cross. All the things that I did, all the horrible things that I did, they were nailed on Jesus and then Jesus was nailed on the cross and put to death for them. He became sin for us. And the blotting out was what's happening at the cross. It says he washed, anointed every part of that away. It says he, the word is to besmear. Besmear means to cover up. And then it says to, with lime or whitewash or plaster. It's like paint. It's like paint. It's like you, if, if I have, this is a blackboard and I write something on it and I, I could wipe it off like that so it's gone. Or I could paint over it so it's gone. Here it's this idea. It can be wiped away. He's wiped away and he's blotted it out. He's painted over it. We're also told in in Psalms, he says he he throws it behind his back. He takes it as far as the east is from the west. He separates it from us. He remembers it no more. He's like, God has a great remembrance. But he chooses to forget the things that he's already punished in Jesus which is all of our sins. So he remembers it, knows he's wiped it off, wiped away, obliterated it, erased it, wiped it out and blotted it out. You don't need to stop now. You need to just close your eyes and think about all the things that you can remember that you're ashamed of. Just stop there. Just put your head down, close your eyes. Think about all the things that you're ashamed of. You know what? Jesus can't remember any of those. You can because it's in your scorn. But he can't because he blotted it out. You can remember it because you dare. You did it. It's in your head. It's recorded there. But when you get before him, that which is recorded in your brain will be taken away. And there you'll stand with him with no memory of it. Just the beautiful place of living in a relationship with it. The memory of it will be gone. There will be no memory of it in heaven. Because he doesn't remember it. You are free from it. Free from it. The son has made you free from it. Isn't that wonderful? Think about that. Once I was dead in my sin, then he took my sin away and put a new heart within me. What a wonderful thing. So Colossians chapter 2 verses 13 to 15 goes on. He says, having spoiled principality and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. Now the word spoiled is a very interesting word because it means, or we'll go back there, he says, he spoiled principalities and powers. Now these are the demon things, the principalities and the powers. We'll talk about them later. But he spoiled them. This is what he did to the demons. It says, he wholly put 
off from oneself. So he, he got them and he says, out, like that. And that one thrust, divine thrust, and they all went everywhere. That was it. He, if you think about it, the devil thought he had won. He'd got Jesus, he'd had him bashed to death, he had him whipped to death, he nailed him off the car, and, and he's got him down, and the devil's looking at Jesus, and he's saying, I got you now, I'm going to kill you. And then he drives it, he thinks he's killed Jesus, he thinks he's won, and then Jesus goes, away! He comes up from the grave and goes, away! And every demon in hell is thrown off, and he's the victor. He's the victor. They're defeated. They have no power. They're completely shot. That's our Jesus. Wholly stripped off from oneself. He's despoiled and he's disarmed and then he's put them up on public display. I beat you all. That's what Jesus did at the cross. With everything that tries to control us, with every evil that tries to control us, Jesus has already beaten it at the cross. There is nothing that is stronger than Jesus. There is no one that is as powerful as our Lord. He is the great God. He is the I am. He is the all-powerful. He is the all-knowing. No one can touch him. He's bigger and stronger and mightier than every demon that you face, every principality and power that comes your way. You know, well, what does it mean to be, for us to be alive in Christ? What does that mean? Well, it means this. It means that the old management has gone and new management has come. So you like that. Here, here it is. We're sitting in a, in a boardroom and the old boss used to... He didn't do any health and safety checks or anything like that. It was, you know, people got hurt all the time. It was just a dangerous place to work. He got kicked out and new management come. This is a completely, changed the name of the business. He said, this is a completely new business. They all say, well, that's great. Welcome to, he says, this is new management. New rules apply. Now, they can still remember the old management, but it's a completely new ball game now. It's a new management. So this is what it says in, first, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. To whom God would make known... Well, who is it he's talking to? He's talking to the, to the saints. So the, you, uh, you, the saints are the whom. To the saints, to us, God would make known what is the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So he's actually saying... Paul says, I'm going to tell you about a mystery that's been hidden from ages and hidden from the Jews and from the Gentiles. And he says, I'm going to make it known to you now. And this is what it is. He says, this is the mystery that has been hidden for ages. He says, it is Christ in you, which is your hope of glory. You, you can't hope for glory. You can't hope to get to heaven without Christ being in you. Jesus is in you. He's not outside of you. He's not walking with you in terms of outside of you. He is in you. Everybody say, He's in me. Touch your, put your hand on your stomach. Say, Hello, Jesus. He's in there. You say, Our Father which art in heaven, and that's great because God the Father is bigger than everything. 
But when it comes to Jesus, Jesus lives with you in his Holy Spirit. He lives inside of you. That's just where he is. That's why you know when he talks to you because you can feel him talk to you here. You go into a situation and you know it's not quite right. And in here, you see, he says to you, you feel uncomfortable now, don't you? You know this is wrong, don't you? He tells you because he's living in there. He's speaking to you through your guts. You feel it in your guts. You feel he's telling you right now, this is not right. Don't do this. He's speaking to you. Your conscience has been cleansed from dead works to serve a living God and the Holy Spirit who now lives within you, not outside of you. He doesn't live in church on Sundays. Come Holy Spirit, come in. No, he walked in when you walked in. You don't have to pray for the Holy Spirit to fall down in here. He doesn't have to fall down. He is in you. You walked in with him and you'll walk out. When you go to the toilet, he'll come sit with you on the toilet. He's with you all the time. He's in you. Christ in you. It's your only hope for glory. You can't get saved without Christ in you. It's not just going to church and trying to be good. The trying is the problem. To stop trying, if you can't be good, you're not saved. If you are good, you are saved. He that does what is righteous is right, says the scripture. You don't have to try and be a Christian. You just have to be a Christian. You don't have to try and be obedient. You just have to be obedient. It's not about, you know, who is in control, hey? Jesus is in the control. He's, in the, he's the new master. He's the new management. The old has gone. The new has come. Oh, Mark, well, what, what's the stuff that I'm hearing in my head? Black's not a good color to wear when you spit, is it? This is what he said, Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 to 10. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So now we're talking about him, we're talking about Jesus. He says, in Jesus, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form. So you hear, how big is God? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. How big are they? Well, they're very, very big, enormous, huge. He says, well, all of that lives in God, in Jesus, in bodily form. So in Jesus, you have the whole of God in Jesus. Now, that's a bit of a mystery because he's also outside of God, but he's in, the, in his fullness. That's what it says. He's full. And you are, and he says the word complete, in him, which is the head of all principality and power. So the word I want you to look at now is the word complete. Because the complete word means to make fill, to fill up, to fill up, to full and to overflow. Now, you can't be filled up and overflowing from, like, the Holy Spirit if he's a liquid. Like, we've got a glass here and it says you fill it up with water and it overflows, okay? We, look, the teachings of Jesus, the promises of God, um, all the things that God gives you with regard to your faith can be overflowing out of you, yes? But the Holy Spirit... He is full in you, but he can't overflow from you in that sense. What it means by complete, it means you are so completely under his control and influence that he controls you. So the idea of complete has this idea of control. So full that you are controlled. Now, they used to say, they used the same word for complete. It's the word plero to say that he was so complete with grief. Oh, he just cried and cried and cried. He was so full of grief. Why? The, the thing that happened to him was so full on him that he just poured out his grief. He, just, he was 
full of happiness. It was just so, the thing that happened to him was so full in him that it just controlled him. He was so angry, the anger was so full in him, it just controlled him. So now we're looking at the thing that controls you by its fullness. It's, in, the, in, a, in a literal sense, it's like you get drunk with wine so that you have so much wine and so you are intoxicated by the wine. The word fullness or completeness or palero in the Greek, this means to be full of wine so that you become drunk. But it's not good to say that you are now drunk by the Holy Spirit because the spirit of control is what the Holy Spirit gives you, is self-control. So if you're so full of the Spirit, you will never be out of control. The Spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. They're always in control. Everybody's always in control when Jesus, the controller, is inside. You can you control by him. He controls you. And that's what that word means. It means to be so controlled or so full that you're controlled by. And so he says here, you've been made full of Jesus. <laughs> that's what I don't like that anymore. <laughs> I knew I walked backwards all the time when I preached and I knew I'd tip over them one day. I did say that, didn't I? I did say, I don't want them there because I'll trip over them. And there I just about did. <laughs> so it says, to make full, to fill up, i.e. to fill to the full, to cause, to abound, to furnish, to supply liberally. I abound, I am liberally supplied. To render full, to complete, to fill to the top, so that nothing shall be wanting, to full measure, to fill to the brim. Now we are so full of Jesus that there is no space left. So full that there is nothing left within us that can be filled with anything else. However, we notice this thing. There's a change in management. Notice what Jesus has done. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, we, we have Jesus spoiled the principalities and powers. That means he cast them off, he broke their chains, he broke their power. And then in Colossians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, And you are complete in him, which is the head, the chief, of all principalities and powers. So here we have it. He spoils it and then he takes control over them. He's the head. You notice that. They're there, they're attacking him. He, sp he spoils them. And now he's the head of them. Right? He's, he's the one who's in control of them. And the word head means the controller, the head, the chief. It's the word chief. So this is how it reads. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers. And you say, well, what's that noise in my head? Why am I feeling, if this is true, why don't I just sail on through life and just complete victory? Why isn't that, there's still stuff in my head that's not right? Why is it that I'm still thinking stuff that's not right? How is it that I can't live there, Mark? You say that, but I just don't live there. How's that? Like, I like, I want to believe it's true, Mark. I want to accept that, that God's spirit inside of me is so powerful, so full of, that I can be completely untemptable. You can't tempt me anymore. I want to believe that. But you know what? I live in a real world. And I face temptation every day. How is that? How can one be true and the other be experienced? How can it be that Jesus is 
the head and the controller of all principalities and powers, and I still experience the suffering that comes from temptation. And why would Jesus actually get me to pray, Lord, lead me not into temptation, if it wasn't going to be part of my life? Yeah, we're under new management. And the old management has gone, completely been cut off. And that old management was demonic. It was there. What we have now is the memory of the old pattern. And that memory has got to be changed. That's where it's important that we start doing the thing that we do. God did all that he could do to make us new. He made us new on the inside. He put his management on the inside that God is living on the inside of us. But our whole, our old heads, it's like a muscle. It's like an organ has a memory of what it was like in the old camp. The old, the old management is not there, but we remember what it was like because you can remember your sins. And even though they're forgiven and they're taken away, you can still remember them. Uh, God doesn't remember them. But you can do something that God doesn't do. You can remember them. And while you're living in this place, you will remember them. And while you're living in this place, you will have to deal with the old pattern. You will have, and God knows that you'll have to deal with the old pattern because God tells you to put it off. He doesn't say that you are putting it off to renovate yourself. He says you are new. He says you need to put it off because you are new. He says, the principalities and powers. I want you to look at these words. We, we've, done, we've preached on this before, I'm pre- but I want to tell you again because I think it's important. It says, the word principles is the word arche in the Greek, and it means beginnings. Now, I, I preached this once, and a, and a guy came up to me and says, oh, look, I got it all wrong. He says, because I, I have this idea. I think it was from God, and I, I'm even more convinced it was from God. That the thing that starts the problem in our lives is our thinking. That's where they begin. All problems start with our thinking. Well, it starts with the demonic who suggests to us, think this thing. And then we accept that thought as being our thought. It's what we, we're thinking, you know. And then from that thought develops all the problems. And God says you need to change the way you think now. You have the mind of Christ, think differently. Though I think that the principalities there is the demonic beings that are responsible for injecting into your mind thoughts that start problems. I believe that. Because I think the word says that. Why do I think the word... This fellow said to me, you know, principalities is the chief demons. It's at the other end. Like it's the, the first demon, the big one. Satan is the principal demon. No, I don't think that's right. We have the head, which is chief, and we have principalities, which is commencements or beginnings. And why do I think that? Because the word uses this word beginnings or ache in words like in the beginning, when things commenced, in the ache was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. In the beginning, the ache, God created the heavens and the earth. It's not saying in the chief in the most important, in the first, it's saying when things began, there was this thing. So the scripture shows it very clearly that where things begin, where things commence, you've got to deal with it right there. Jesus dealt with it where things began. 
We are to take the, the, uh, the armor of God and deal with principalities, powers, the rulers of this world, and for, spiritual forces in heavenly places. It gives you four categories, and I think they go from small, as in the things that affect us directly, to bigger things that hold us, to the things that hold countries, to the things that holds the world. I think that's how it goes, in that order. So it says here, where do the problems that we have commence? Now, we've had some discussions with some brethren here about TV and about the effect of TV on our lives. That's a commencement portal, if you like. If you put the TV on and you say, on now, and it starts talking to you, what we have is the commencement of ideas flowing toward you. Oh, who's in control of those ideas? Well, you, you ain't. You have to control it by that, or you have to walk out the room. But as soon as that's in the room, it's flowing toward you. You're driving towards work, and you have signs on the side of the road. They're called advertisements. And as you're viewing the advertisement, the idea is that there's an idea communicated to you. And there's a commencement of thought. They wouldn't put them up there unless they knew that there was a commencement of thought that would go. You would never put up a... Imagine a billboard that, that read something like that. I mean, who would buy? You wouldn't buy anything because it's just blank white. But when you put something on it, that what you put on it is translated into your eyes and into your head and you are now making a thought about what's on it. And that thought is the commencement of things. You say, why are we living in a materialistic world? And how does the materialism hold us so strongly? Well, every day that you go to your letterbox, how many times do you pick out junk mail out of your letterbox? How much junk mail do you have to throw away in a week? Why are we living in a material world? Because we are peddling junk and material things every day to everybody here. This whole society is built upon covetousness. You look, you read, you want, you buy. You look, you read, you want to buy. That's what you do. That's so they know that. So they, they put it all there in front of you. You look, you read, you want want to buy you look you read you want to buy that's what you do you just you look and the kids they look i want that i want that i want that. mommy mommy i want this one i want this and when they go there they put it down low for the kids to see it because it comes it commences it starts with their eyes it goes into their eyes and they start saying give me give me give me give me give me i want i want give me give me give me give me i want that's what you get it's the commencement of thought that comes through a picture it comes through some writing it starts something in your head and all of a sudden you're struggling in your life because everybody wants everything and you don't have enough money to pay for it think about it it starts there it commences there you wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities the things that start things in your head they're outside and they want to come inside they're standing at the gate of Jerusalem knocking saying let us peddle our wares in here the walls have been built up the gates are shut. Jesus has made Jerusalem his own place. He lives there now inside and he says, come away from the walls, kids. You don't need to peddle that stuff out with them. That's where it starts. And once you give in to a thought, there's a highway starting to be built. A road starts to be built. You give in once, 
it's easier to give him the second time. Oh, you got new management on the inside. Jesus, you're a Jesus person. You've got, but you know what you're doing? You're walking dirt inside now. You've got dirty boots and you're walking dirt inside the new house. And it's a new track now. Tracks to the outside, picks up some stuff and brings it on the inside. Tracks to the outside, picks up some stuff and brings it on the inside. And pretty soon Jesus comes and says, who's been walking in the mud on my clean floor? Who's been tracking? Where's this dirt coming from in this clean house? Whose road are you on? It's God's highway or it's the devil's low road? It's God's freeway or it's the devil's toll road? Think about it. Which, which highway you got on the inside? Do you have a freeway inside here? Is it a really free? Or is it a toll road and you're paying for this now? This is the powers, and we've got a little boy called Exusia here, and this is where he got his name from. You, are, you, you wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principles, the thoughts, and powers. And these are the things that you choose to let have control in your life. Now, wait a minute. Did you lose your free will when Jesus came in? You could choose. Just like Adam and Eve had a free will before they sinned, you can choose. So you're now taken back to the garden. You're brought back into a place, a garden place, and all Jesus says to you is now, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of God. You're back now, you're Adam, now you're Eve. You're back in the garden. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, you're back here now, you're in fellowship with me, you're clean, I made you clean. Now stay clean, stay away from that. One command, love me more than anything else. Free to live anywhere you like in this place, but just love me most. That's the only command. So what do we let go in our lives? What choices do we have? See, this is powers. Power of choice, liberty of doing as one pleases, leave or permission. And it has this idea of you give leave to something or you give permission to something. What are you giving permission to? Because you've got control over that. We're told to wrestle not against, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. You let the principal thought in there. You let a, a commencing thought in there. What are you giving right in your life to? You think, well, I can watch this TV program. I know that there's immorality in it. I know there's gay couples in it. It's just the new family model. What are you giving right to? I know that sport's not really important, but I love my sport so much. You know, I would give away Sunday service just to play my sport. What are you giving license to? And think about that. You should keep the, the Sabbath day holy as unto the Lord. What are you giving leave or permission to if you give way to some of these thoughts? Now, I can't make those choices for you. You have to make those choices yourself. But you are not alone in this because he who is mighty resides within you and he will speak to you about those things. 
This is the powers, powers of authority. So look, have a look at this. It says, the power of choice, liberty of doing what one pleases. It says, physical or mental power. You give it physical. Like if you let one of those principal thoughts in, you'll actually back it up with physical power or mental power. You actually give it strength. It doesn't have any strength over unless you give it strength. The devil has to borrow your strength. He wants to hold you with addiction. He, and you say, it's so powerful. You know why it gives you power? You give it the power. It's, Ecclesiastes says, evil will not release those who practice it. If you keep on practicing sin, it will keep on holding. Why does it keep on holding you? Because you keep on practicing. You stop practicing and it won't hold you anymore. You give it power. You give the devil power. You give him right. You give him, really, you give him an opportunity. You don't, you don't stop it. You keep doing it. And he keeps on saying, well, I've got power over you now. What power have you got over me? Jesus says, He's bra- all his power is broken. You, want, you, you just gave him back some power. Well, I find it so hard to resist evil. The temptation is too hard for me to resist. It's only too hard because you have chosen to want to do it as opposed to want to not to do it. If you choose to want not to do it and learn to hate it, it is not hard to stop it. You don't have to wean yourself off it. You just have to stop it. If you get this, it'll help you. The power of authority, influence, and the right or privilege, the power of rule or government. You see, the, it starts off with a thought and then it gets to a place where it wants to control and rule and govern you. And that's what habits do. They want to control and rule and govern, govern you. They want to take hold of you and control you and govern your life. They want to determine the outcome of your life. They want to say, you think you're saved, but you know what? You might be saved today, but you know what? I'm going to take you down tomorrow and I'm going to take you out the next day and I'm going to make sure you're in hell the next day. Because you're giving me right and control. I'm going to take that right and control and I'm going to destroy you. That's the devil. I'm so, I can't get it. Break it now. Stand up to where you were. Stand up to what you are. Shake it off. Shake off the temptation. Put it away. Get rid of it. Stop it. Don't do it anymore. Turn it off. Switch it away. Throw it in the bin. Whatever you have to do, do it and break for it. Break free. You're free inside. This is just nonsense. Don't give the devil any more power. Don't give the devil any more control. Jesus gives you freedom of choice. Whose attitudes rule your govern, or govern your mind? Whose are they? New management has taken over your life. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27 says, it tells you not to give the devil a foothold. Why? Because you've got new management. Don't open up a room for him to rent. It's not a good thing to open up a room for the devil to rent when you, we've got Jesus living on the inside. How can light and darkness dwell together in the one? You can't, it's an impossibility. Well, it's not really, otherwise he wouldn't tell us not to do it. So obviously it's possible, so don't do it. Old management, the devil appeals for the, from the outside for your life, reminding you that the old patterns, and the old, reminding you of the old patterns and behavior. So this is what he does. Stand up, Don. Don used to work on the wharfs years ago, didn't you, Don? Were you a good boy or a bad boy? No, sometimes good. Sometimes, mostly bad. So, 
So what the, now he's, a, he's a good man now. He's got Jesus on the inside. So what the devil does, he knows what he used to do because he was there. He excited him. He knew about it. So the devil knows what he used to do because he has a record of it. The Bible says that the devil stands before God and accuses us day and night before the Father. So he has a record. The devil has a record of all the things he got him to do. You see, you know my, you know your servant, Don? You know what? I got him to do this, that, and the other thing. I got a record of it right here, God. Jesus, you said you saved him, but look what he's doing. I've got a record of it. I'm going to remind, I'm going to accuse you before. So I become the devil and I'm going to accuse him before God. I know all the things that he's done. I don't know what he's going to do in the future, but I know what he's done in the past. I got that. The devil's got that. So he comes along and I haven't been messing with him lately because he's just been walking with Jesus and I think it's time for him to stop because he's doing too much good. So I'm going to come. I'm going to come and I'm going to say, I say, you reckon you're so good and mighty, eh? Remember the days back then? And I remember it stir up his memory. And I put it in there. Now, if he just speaks to me and says, all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know that I got there. If I start saying, remember that lady, something that oh, I thank God for my wife. I thank God for the love that she has for you, Jesus. And uh, I don't know that I got there. I'm putting ideas in his head and I'm looking for some sort of indication from him that I got there. And then if out of his mouth, he says, oh, I feel so low and oh, I feel so wish I was back. I know I got him. I got to, I can you know, just fly that, push that a little bit more. And all of a sudden I just get to see if I can, how close can I get? You know, now I become part of you. You see, you see now, now I'm in there, you know, I keep on talking to him, you know, you know, and he gets worse and worse. He gets bound up and more bound up and more bound up. You know what he needs to do? What does he need to do? Break free. Shake it off, shake it off. That's what needs to happen. Now listen to me. The devil is not on the inside. He's only on the inside if you let him be on the inside. You want to shake yourself today. I'm serious. If you're struggling with stuff today, make it a day of shaking. Make it a day of shaking. Jesus, I'm going to shake myself for you. I'm going to be your man. You know, I'm not going to be bound by sin. I'm not going to be bound by thoughts. I'm not going to be bound by Satan. I'm going to shake it off today. And I'm going to stand. I'm going to walk in newness of life. The resurrection of Jesus is going to empower me to be everything you want me to be. Till the day I die. And the devil will come and remind you of things. But don't say those things. Speak God's Word at Satan. The new management is Jesus and encourages from the inside and tells us to live a new and living way. Ephesians chapter 4, 22 verse 24 says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desire. All the emotions and all the things that swirl, put them off. They're, they're corrupting. They, they, they come back to you. They remind you. They, you know, this is all happening again. Put it away. Put it away. Put it away. It's not happening again. We're standing by faith in Jesus, the conqueror. Be made new in the attitude of your mind. Yeah, that's what's got to change. The thinking, the principal thoughts have got to change. The attitudes of our mind must be renewed. Management says, you know, you have some old work practices here that, are, you know, you used to lift the box like this. That's a no-no. From now on, 
We'll do a training course. This is how you lift the box. Bend the knees, straight back, lift with the legs. New management says there's a new practice. Your brain is still the same. It was the brain that you used when you sin. now. It has to be used for God. The old pattern has to change. The way your thinking has to change. The way you used to lift boxes has to change. So to put on the new self created to be like God. I love this verse and I'm going to close on this verse. Second Peter chapter 1 verses 3 to 4. Right through to the first 12 I think it is. According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain for life and godliness through the knowledge of him. You know... You're not, you haven't got a lack in your life. You're full. The Bible says you are complete in him. You need to stop. You need to read your word. And you need to discover how complete you are. You need to read the word to find out how full you are. What you have in God. You need to discover what it is that he's given you. Your knowledge of him makes a huge difference. I mean, if I know that I am healthy and, 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 and strong in God, the devil tries to tell me I'm not, I'm just going to tell him what I know, that Jesus is my strength, he's my health. I'm just going to tell him that. It says here in this second part, it says, whereby are given to us exceeding great and precious promises. And that's what the young people did today. They said, we've learned a promise. We, we, we all learned it together. We, we learned a promise. Isaiah 53 says, and they told you the promise that they learned. They took the word of God. They put it in their hearts. It says in Psalm 119, verse 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. We hide it in our heart. We find out something about God. We learn that about God. And when we learn that about God, we use it against the devil. The devil says, you know, I'm going to tempt you, Jesus. And Jesus says, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Oh, why don't you turn the stone and eat it and turn the bread and it'll be good for you. You can do that, you know, because you're the Son of God. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You know, he had a word for it. He had a scripture for it. Oh, if we, could, if we could learn those scriptures, if we could know those scriptures, if we could remember that we are of God and we have overcome them because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. If we could remember that. If we could just think that. If we could know that. Those are the exceeding great precious promises. That by these we may be, listen to this word, partakers of the divine nature. That's what we're talking about, the new self. How do you get to be take, partaking of the divine nature? The divine nature, that's the God nature, okay? How do we become more like God on the inside? How do I do that? Through the divine precious promises. Through God's word, reading it, putting it in on the inside, living it, doing it, looking at the mirror of God's word and saying, that's me you're talking about there. That's me. That's me there, right there, right there. I'm the, I'm the new man. I've got the spirit of Jesus. I've got the mind of Christ. I've been justified. I've been forgiven. I've been cleansed. That's me. That, that's me right there. That's me. My life is hid with Christ in God. That's me in there. See there? See, my life is not out there. I don't have to find it out there. I have to find it in Christ in the Word. Colossians chapter 3 says it's hidden in Christ in God. That's me. That's me. I can read. Did you write? Did you read the Bible? And I said, that's me. Is that self-centered? No, that's what Jesus did. 
That's what Jesus did. Go through the scripture and he would read about himself through the book of Isaiah. He knew he was going to get nailed on the cross. He knew that we were going to divide his garments before him. Why did he know that? Because he could read that in the Bible. He said, this is it. My, he says, I appointed you. I've, I've, I've set you as a light to the nations. He knew that when the Gentiles came asking for him, he was a light to the Gentiles. Why? Because he read it in the scripture. He read all about himself in the scripture. When was the last time you sat down to discover something about your new self in the scripture? Or did you just read the book like I have to read my Bible reading today? Or did you search the scriptures to find Christ in you, the hope of glory? Stand up. Shake it off. You've got something. You've got the divine. You can partake of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruptions that is in the world through lust, you can rid yourself of them. And then he says, this is what you've got to do. He says, and besides this, giving all diligence. Oh, that's where the problem is, isn't it? It's the diligence, giving all diligence, not just some diligence, not just a little bit of diligence. It's giving all diligence. Like, like if I said outside, outside that door, there's an envelope for every one of you and it has a million bucks in it because I'm a multi-million dollar man and I got a million bucks for every one of you. But you know what? I locked all those doors and all those windows. There's a way out, but you've got to find it. It's just outside that door for you. But you can't get it just easy. You have to find it. You have to have due diligence, all diligence. Unless you're giving all diligence, you won't get it. Now, if I actually had those envelopes there, and you know they had the capacity to give you a million dollars each, let me suggest to you, you would all become extremely diligent to discover how to get to it. He said, this is a great riddle. I like coming to this church. I'd like to find out how I can get to that. Why? Because, because we live in a material world and money means something to us. That's why we would act like that, because we want money. But listen to me. The things of God are much more valuable than gold and silver. They're full of life. And Jesus says, they're there for you, but you have to give all diligence you know, what's it take? I mean, would I have to wake up a half an hour earlier to read your word? Probably. Oh, but you know, it's cold in these mornings. Yeah, but what does all diligence look like? Do I have to stay up at night time and, and turn off my favorite TV program so that I can listen to some Christian music and learn those songs so I can sing with full voice on Sunday? Probably. I won't find out whether J.R. gets his bride. Who cares anyway? <laughs> I don't even know what the, the programs are anymore. What are they? General Hospital? Is, is it Peyton's Place? Is that still there? The Voice. The, the voice. Oh! <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I thought it was some sort of cereal or something, no? Um, anyway, so giving all diligence, that's what you have to do. Give all, add to your faith virtue and to your virtue knowledge and to your knowledge temperance, which is self-control, and to your temperance, patience, and to your patience, godliness, and to God and his brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness, charity or love. You see, all of these add in together. He says, make it, do the right thing and build that into your life, he says. He says, if you do these things, and if they're in you and they are bound, you shall be neither barren nor unfruitful. In the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, if you do all those things, you'll understand and know Jesus. Well, that would be a great thing. Because if, 
If Christ in you is the hope of glory and you get to know him really well, that's the key. Do you know Jesus so well that you know what he can do in any situation? And you know what his power is in any situation, that you know what he wants you to choose in any situation. Do you know him so well that you know no matter what you face, he will lead you through it? Do you know him that well? He says, but if you lack these things, you're blind and you cannot see further than your nose. You've forgotten that you were purged from your dead sins. You've forgotten about your Christian walk. He says, for, he says, therefore, rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will, listen, what's that word say? Never, Never fall. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Never fall means you're not going to stumble. You're not going to make a mistake. You're not going to sin. If you're diligent, you won't sin. Now, I haven't got it on my thing, and I'm just remembering now, but I'm going to read it to you because this is a passage in the Bible that, that everybody I know wants to rip out and throw away because it's one of the, the toughest passages of Scripture in the Bible. But after what I've told you today so far, you'll understand this now. It's in 1 John chapter 3, and it starts at verse 4. He says, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And then he goes on verse 5, he says, And you know that he was manifest to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. So Jesus came to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. He says, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him or known him. So it's actually saying, if you keep on sinning, you obviously don't know him. Because whatever happened at, co at conversion was so powerful, you don't have to sin anymore. Some of you might, not, you might be questioning whether you're even saved now. That's a good thing. That's a good thing to question that. Because if you, if you can't come up with a confident, yes, I am, then maybe you're not. Maybe you need to start today. It says, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous. Just as he or Jesus is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil was sinned from the beginning. For the purpose of the Son of God, that for this purpose the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. What works did the devil do? The works that he was doing in Don, the works that he was doing in Mama, the works that he's doing in me and in you. He came to destroy that work. When he destroyed the work in us, he destroyed the work going out because we were the ones who worked it out in the world. He destroyed it in us. He fixed the problem up. He came to fix up the problem that, of the devil's destruction in us. Okay, now listen to what he says. He who sins is of the devil and, he, he, and the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Uh, he says the purpose of the Son of God was to... Was to um, the purpose the Son of God was manifest was that he might destroy the works of the devil. And then this is the verse that most people want to chuck out of the Bible. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For, the seed remain, for his seed remains in him and he cannot sin. That's a cannot. It's not, he, it's not he wants to. He said he cannot. I looked up the word cannot and it means it's impossible for him to. If you've been born of God, it says it's impossible for you to sin. He says because he has been born of God. Now, listen, 
We know that we sin. Because the Bible says to us in First John, it says, and if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. And if you deny that you sin, then you are telling lies. Because we all sin at different times. But the reality is we don't have to sin. The reality is we sin because we choose to sin. And when we choose to sin, we sin because we choose to love sin more than we love God. And that if we choose to love Jesus more than anything, we will not sin anymore. Because the love of God will free us. And fear in our lives only comes because we fear punishment. But when perfect love comes, when we love God most... There's no punishment anymore because we are freed from punishment. It's like there's, there's no punishment. It's like perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. And when we love Jesus more, we just want to walk with him every day. This week you're going to find you're going to come into some trouble. You've listened to the sermon and it's said, okay, Jesus has done a mighty work in me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And the devil says, I defy you to practice that. The devil says, you try, you just move one step out and try and do this and I will bring it down on you. So you try to do what God wants you to do and I'm going to make your life miserable. That's what the devil's going to tell you. That's what he's going to do. But you know what? Rise up. Rise up. He's broken the chains. The devil is lost. We can win and will win as we press on in him. Amen? Amen. There is nothing. We are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. There is no defeat in Jesus. If you live with Jesus, you can rule and reign with him in life. That's what you've got on the inside of you. That's the new person you are. And everything else is the devil asking you to give him permission to destroy your life. Are you going to give the devil permission to destroy your life? Are you going to give him permission to take you and rip you out? Are you going to, young people, are you going to give him permission to destroy your potential for God in the future? Are you going to give him permission to do that? Are you going to say to him, okay, devil, wreck my life and when I'm 45 I'll come back to you you're going to give the devil permission to do that no don't stand up and say my life is for Jesus I was born for Jesus I'm raised for Jesus I am full of Jesus I'm going to live for Jesus now and if it kills you at school on Monday because they kick you and thrust you out well then so be it let's die for Jesus anyway It's time to move, church. It's time to raise up. It's time to throw off the shackles. Time to put away the stuff that stops you from being what God wants you. You have been called to a day for such a time as this. God has not finished what he wants to do with it, and you can do it. You can stand up and be what God wants you to be. There's nothing stopping you. Don't give the devil permission to destroy it. We prophesy over this place now in the name of Jesus. We will live in him and rule and reign in him in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Help us, Jesus, just to be all that you want us to be, to show real diligence in your walk, Father. Help us to take your word upon our lives, Father, and to clothe ourselves in the richness of your your presence, Lord Jesus. Help us to be everything that you want us to be, Lord Jesus. Shine through our lives, we pray. 
We ask this in Jesus' name.